welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Love never falls. We're going to read out of 1 Corinthians 13. Lord, would you open the word to us? Would you open our minds to understand your word? Would you open our ears to hear your voice and our eyes to see you? You are our beautiful living Savior. I pray for the grace to let you come through and speak to us all. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 13, we are in a series going on since um, end of May or something, uh, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I just felt a deep need to, to go through and, and, and talk about the Holy Spirit and the life of the Spirit as he's been teaching us. And um, we're in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Why? Because that is the section of the Bible uh, in which we have a spirit-filled church being described. Paul is correcting them, yes. But out of that correction, you can discern a great deal of what they did, how they functioned, what, what, the, what Paul's churches, when he planted a church, what did they do? What did they believe in? And so we've, we're teaching through this section. And we've come today to verses 8 through 13. That's the, the section I'm going to read. I'm going to start at verse 4. Paul is... Not taking a side trip. This isn't a tangent at all uh, to his discussion of the gifts of the Spirit. This is the foundation point. He's trying to teach them that everything you do is to be led by love. In, in, in including the gifts of the Spirit. Let love guide you in how you use the gifts of the Spirit. So now he's explaining what he means by love. Because uh, in Greek, you had lots of words for love. And in, in, in English, we have one word and we mean a lot of things by it. So what do you mean when you say love? So he's defining the kind of love he's talking about. He's talking about the love you saw in Jesus Christ. And so he describes it this way. He said love, this agape love, is patient. We said it was long-suffering, is kind it's not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, we said that means covers all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then I said, this was a couple weeks ago, we taught through that, I said, I'll, I'll deal with love never fails next time, and, I, and here I am. Love never fails. I'll tell you what that means in just a moment. But there are, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Several weeks ago, I did a sermon called The Perfect and the Partial, in which I took this idea because... People use this passage I'm reading right now to say that the, that the speaking in tongues and, the, and word of knowledge and prophecy all passed away when we got the Bible. And uh, they, 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 vary, they twist this one passage. It's the only thing you can even sort of find uh, that you could twist to make it say that. Because the Bible expects the gifts of the Spirit to go until Jesus comes again. 
But they take this passage. I talked about that several weeks ago. I'm not talking about it today. Today we're looking at what Paul's saying. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Would you say face to face? Face Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Let Let that statement just hit you. I will know fully just as I have been fully known. And then he says, but now faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Whatever version you have, I'd like you to read verse 13 out loud with me. But now faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. All right, here we go. Love never falls. No matter how old you are, your life is just beginning. Some of us, that's better news than others. I had a man last night, uh, he's 95, sitting right here, and, and he said amen. No matter, and I mean, let that sink in. No matter how old you are, Your life is just beginning. What we do here in this lifetime matters a great deal because it affects the eternal destination of yourself and others. But the physical death of our body is not the end of our service to God. When we die, we will be caught up into the presence of God and join with all those believers who arrived there before us. During that time, we will be clothed in a spiritual body not a physical body, and our existence in that condition, listen, will only be temporary. What most people call heaven is not our final destination. It is the place we go if we die before the next age arrives. It's a joyful time of waiting for the resurrection. One of the real weaknesses of Western Christianity is it's been boiled down to this deal of what do I have to do or pray so I can go to heaven? And the entire future, the entire purpose of everything is to go to heaven. But heaven is not the final destination. So if you, if you talk to, 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 to uh, biblical scholars, you'll hear this comment every so often, well, the Old Testament has very little about heaven. That's true. Because heaven is just a temporary transit point. But if you, talk, you go to the Old Testament, it is full, absolutely full of discussion about the coming age. The Messianic age. Brothers and sisters, we got to wake up. Because Paul, Jesus, you name it, they all understand that, that this age will come to an end and there's another one coming. There is a thousand year period ahead of us. In which Messiah will rule and we will be part of it. And there is even an age beyond that. The Bible sees a future. We see heaven. We see this idea of am I going to be on a cloud playing a harp. (laughs) I can't play a harp. I'm hoping a guitar would do. Um, My neighbor. I have a neighbor and he moved in recently. And they found out who I am and... Um, they listened to the radio, and then they st- we had some good discussions. And um, wh- he said to me the other day, he said, he said, so I'm told that 
heaven is, we're going to worship uh, forever. He says, now don't get me wrong. I like to sing. He says, but the idea of just singing forever. He said, is, is that it? That is kind of a horrible thought, isn't it? You know, I mean, like, I mean, I like to sing, but for goodness sake, really. Um, and and I, how, do, how do I start? Where do I start with that? Uh, to, to explain, and I, I did say something, sing forever. My, you are going to be so busy. You're going to be busier than you are now. There is an entire future before you. That wasn't a casual statement. No matter how old you are, your life has just begun. And your ministry has just begun. There's so much waiting for us, says Jesus and the word of God. In this chapter of his letter to the Corinthians, Paul reminds us that there is another age that will follow this one. And all of us who believe in Jesus Christ will be part of that age. When the time allotted for this present age comes to an end, our Heavenly Father will give the order and instantly... Everyone who belongs to him will be resurrected into an immortal body. After that, we will return to the earth with Jesus to extend his ministry and rule to the billions of people who are still alive after the natural catastrophes of the Great Tribulation and the Battle of Armageddon. Let me explain that. People often think, well, when, the, when, when Jesus comes again, you know, basically the, everybody will be dead or something. That's not true at all. The Bible doesn't say that even in the slightest. There will be, we're told, John is really clear in the book of Revelation, there'll be huge natural catastrophes. Remember, the sea turns to blood and you've got, you've got, you've got uh, famine and you've got all of this junk going on. So people are dying. In fact, at one place it says the third of the world, that kind of stuff will, will happen. So you've got, you've got meteorites, apparently, uh, striking the earth. Uh, you have the, 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 the weather system is off. Everything's broken. And you have a battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And that's a battle of ten nations around Israel who will attack Israel and, and will almost destroy it. And then at some point, the Lord Jesus will come and he'll touch down on the Mount of Olives and there he, will, he will deliver the, the people and set up a new age. And then comes, and at, at that moment, when that happens, there will be the resurrection. And you will be resurrected. So we will have been in heaven waiting in our spiritual body, conscious, all of that. But at that moment, you'll put on your physical body and you will come back and you will be deputies. You'll be assigned places of ministry all over the planet. I am not making this up. This is not my thoughts. I'm just reporting what it says. You will be assigned ministry all Wherever he puts you. And we will be rule and reign. But you know when Jesus rules and reigns. He's awfully nice. And so there'll be healing. There'll be prayer. There'll be leading people to the Lord. Because billions of mortal humans. Will still be alive on the planet. What, is, what an interesting time. There'll be a resurrected people. And there'll still be mortal people. The Bible says it. Then you and I will step into our new assignment. And. All the godly character that was worked into us during this lifetime 
will be the foundation that we build on in the next. When you learn to forgive, when you learn to be kind, when you learn to pray for somebody, when you learn to stand in faith, when you learn to build hope and trust the future promises of, of God's great things, when you learn to, to, uh, to pray for somebody, when you learn to for, forgive and grow in, in love, all of these things, these qualities that are being worked into your, your spirit right now don't stop when you die. They will be right with you as you step into the next age. What you're learning now carries on. And the faithfulness we've shown in serving the Lord here will determine the amount of ministry we initially will be assigned there. How do I know that? Jesus says it clearly. He says, uh, you who, who are faithful with a few things, few things, you who have been faithful, pardon me, you've been faithful with a few things, you will be master over much. Um, so he has an example of a man who is faithful with two talents and he gets, um, he gets uh, the tournament of four and, and he gets four cities. Do you remember that? Cities? How do you get a city? You get a city. He means exactly what he said. As we, as you and I have been faithful in what God has given us here, and he sees it, it's not by human measure. But when he sees you've been faithful and kind, you've been, you've been firm in, your, in walking with God, you, you minister him, you have not turned right or left, he trusts you. And he then gives you responsibility in the age to come, commensurate with your faithfulness. So that's where we start. Now I trust we can still grow in the, in the next age. But some folks who've done nothing with anything here will probably start out being in charge of a hot dog stand. Or, or <laughs> maybe they won't have those in heaven. And, but you know what I'm saying? And, and other people will have much larger. It, say what you will. He does say, you're going to be given responsibility in the next stage commensurate with your faithfulness here. That's where we start. And then I trust we grow once we get there. Move out of that hot dog stand into something bigger. <laughs> that means believers should think of this age as a training ground for the far more intense levels of ministry that we will be doing in the next age. Yet even, in the, ne even the next age, which will last a thousand years, is not the final age. At the end of that thousand year period of time, every part of this present universe will disappear and God will create a new heaven and a new earth. This amazing future of one age following another isn't mere speculation. It's what Jesus taught. It's what Paul taught. It's what the prophets of Israel taught. And it is this understanding that lies behind Paul's words about love that we're reading today. This is the future that God has planned for us and it explains why faith, hope, and love abide. And it explains why love is greater than faith and hope. It is a future you and I need to see because it will change the way we live here and now. No, the Old Testament does not talk about heaven much. But it sure talks about the age to come. Think about it. Have you read passages that say the, the, the wolf will lay down with the lamb? And the lion will eat hay like the ox? And, and, the, and the serpent will eat dust and the little child will play by the adder's hole. Have you read those passages? That's the, that's the messianic age. 
Have you talked when it talks about all of the people gathering and, and, and the glory of over Israel and, and his throne will be in Jerusalem? All of that's going to happen. Ezekiel describes the temple that will be built. Go figure. I mean, it's all there. That's what they're talking about. So don't don't ever say, well, the Bible, the Old Testament doesn't have a have an afterlife. That's just ridiculous. I mean, that is absurd. Um, it, it talks about their, the afterlife is the age to come. And of course, they do believe that, the, that when you've died, you are with God. And that's another subject. Love never falls. After describing the various actions to which God's kind of love will lead us, Paul concludes his list with one final statement. Love never falls. What he wrote is usually translated as love never fails. But he said, love never falls. Pipto, it means fall. That's all it means. It's the word he used. And I believe Paul is telling us that, the, that love will never fall from its position of prominence. It is the one quality of heart that makes us like, most like Jesus. It's the quality that gives our Heavenly Father the greatest delight when he sees it formed in us. And as Paul is about to explain to us, it is a quality that when it has been formed in us, becomes part of us forever. Here is my understanding of these verses in which Paul explains why love never falls. But the grace gifts of the Spirit, the charismata, he says, will. All right. Verse 13, 8. I'm going to just read these and remind you. Verse 8 says this. Love never, I said, falls. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If there are gifts of tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Verse 13, 8. He says in, in the age to come, prophecies will be brought to a state of inactivity. And undoubtedly, that's because God will then speak to his people directly. Face to face. More said in that in a minute. Speaking in tongues will cease because people will no longer need to use that gift. After the, resurrection, uh, after the resurrection, their fleshly mind will no longer resist what their renewed human spirit wants to say to God. The, the, the wonder of tongues is that my spirit can bypass the limitations of my mind. And I can speak right to God and it can say to him the things that I really need to say without being censored by my natural mind. My natural mind, we go, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to surrender that much, you know. <laughs> I like surrender, but uh, let's, let's be reasonable, and um, etc. But once, that's, once I have my renewed mind, my, all of that, and, and, and I'm my resurrection body, I don't need that. It's, it's, a different day. it's a different day. And the word of knowledge will also be brought to a state of inactivity because now we will know God as we are known, which is just a stunning statement. Paul says the grace gifts of the Spirit, verse 13, 9, excuse me, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. The grace gifts of the Spirit that are at work in this present age are partial. Of course, they are not imperfect when sent to us by God. But they can reveal only part of all that God wants to say to us because of our limited capacity to hear and understand. Verse 13.10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. In the age to come, there will be no barrier between the resurrected children of God and God himself. God gave us the grace gifts of the Spirit in this age 
to help us overcome the weakness of our not yet redeemed body. But these gifts will no longer be needed. One, after we've been resurrected and our rebellious flesh is gone. Two, after Jesus has physically returned to the earth to rule. And three, after the Holy Spirit has baptized the whole earth with his presence like the waters cover the sea. 1311. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. The difference between the way we are now and the way we will be then is like the difference between a child and an adult. Our minds then will be taught by the Lord. They will be free from the restrictions that still deceive or confuse us. We will think with perfect clarity. And our old flesh will be gone and no longer exert any influence on us whatsoever. That deserves a hallelujah. Our subconscious mind will be free of all sorrow, regret, and crippling memories. He wipes away every tear. Our old behaviors, it'll still be you. It's still you. You don't, you don't just, it's, it's you. You'll remember much, but you'll have your, your, the, that subconscious. All that junk that's kind of stored down there, it's all gone. I'll tell you where that subconscious shows itself with me, and maybe it's you too. Middle of the night, now some of you are young, and so you sleep all through the night, but <laughs> some of us don't. And um, so up in the middle of the night, and, and then you, you lie there, and you try to go to sleep, and you can't. And then somewhere the mind shifts into gear and starts working. And it usually, in my case, thinks about what can I worry about? And it'll wait a minute until we get something to worry about. It will. And, and then I start working on what I'm worrying about. And then it gets spinning. And I think, well, now that'll happen and that'll happen. Oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. The whole thing, everything's... And I think, oh, no, no. This is, and I realize, okay, that's my flesh mind. I got to shift out of that. So then I, mem I memorize chunks of scripture. And so I recite scripture. And uh, sometimes that helps. Other times, as soon as I'm done, I'm right back to worrying. <laughs> now, in the morning, you wake up and give me a cup of tea, or you might want coffee. And I get my Bible out, and I praise the Lord. And I get into the Spirit. I suddenly have a very different attitude. Suddenly, I'm hopeful. I see, this, see God's mighty hand. I'm confident he's there. You see this? That's my, my, my flesh mind versus the mind of the Spirit. You have it. You see it all the time. You experience this all the time. But you need to realize is that flesh mind is, is it's the old thing. It's coming out of the old broken parts. Not the new you. It's not your spirit. It's not who you really are even. But it's part of the baggage that we still have until the resurrection. But in the new, in the resurrection, that's all gone. All of that's gone. Old behaviors and attitudes that were, that were produced by the influence of our flesh will be brought to an end by our fully empowered human spirit. And in the next stage, our spirit will completely rule our body and our body will have no rebellion in it. 13.12 For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. Right now, our communication with God is hindered. 
Number one, we live in an oppressive spiritual atmosphere. We are surrounded by stuff. Number two, our, our, our flesh has a voice of its own, which confuses us when we're trying to listen to God. You'll notice you go to, you go to seek God's will and you've got all kinds of voices in there. It's like static on a radio. Number three, and there are false teachers who are trying to mislead us. So we've got false information coming in as well. So hearing from God and knowing what's true can be difficult. What we see of God now can be clouded by misinformation and doubt. But when Jesus comes again and we can talk to him directly, imagine that. He will be here physically. He will, where will he live? In Jerusalem. Now, who knows how well he travels? Um, I'll bet it's pretty well. So he can, he, I, mean, I don't know anything about that, but he can walk through uh, walls right into a room. And he, so who knows where he'll be, but his home will be Jerusalem. He'll rule from there. So he'll be physically on the planet. When the devil is bound for a thousand years, he will be, uh, and, and he can no longer tempt us. Now, he'll be released at the end of that, but he's bound. And three, when we put on our spiritual bodies, we will again be able to walk with God and speak with him as Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden before they sinned. Remember? They would hear the sound of him walking in the garden and they would walk with him and they would talk with him. We will be able to speak to him face to face as Abraham and Sarah did when they served him dinner at Hebron. Or as Moses did when the pillar of cloud stood before the door of the tent of meeting. That is such a beautiful picture. You know, the, the tent of meeting, is, that term is used for two things. One is the, uh, is the uh, tabernacle. But it's also used for a small tent that Moses owned. It was his own private tent. And he would put it outside the camp. So out on the fringes of the camp, he had this little tent. And he would go out there to pray. Uh, often Joshua would go with him. And then it says, it says that this great pillar of cloud would go and actually move over to, and in front of the door and it would stand in front of the door, this pillar of cloud, while he's inside praying and talking. And it says, and the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one man speaks to another. People, that's you. That's what your walk with him. When Paul says you're going to know him like he knows you, you're going to be able, you and I are going to talk with him, speak with him. Can you imagine being Joshua in that moment, lying face down going, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> Is, you know, just the power and presence of God. Hallelujah. Paul does not use that phrase face to face accidentally. That comes right out of the Old Testament. Those passages, those verses I give you there. Those are, he's, he's actually quoting that. He's, gonna, he's basically saying, that's going to be you. There will be no barrier between us and our Heavenly Father. Or between us and our Lord Jesus. Jesus will be physically present, ruling the earth from Jerusalem. And we will be his deputies, extending his ministry and authority to those humans still living on the planet. We will be... We will behold and understand our God as freely as he beholds and understands us. Our relationship with him will have matured dramatically. And then verse 13. But now faith, hope, love, abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The contrast between our relationship with God in this age and our relationship with him in the next raises an obvious question. What qualities does God want to work into our character now because they will go with us into the next age? 
So in this verse, Paul answers that question. He says there are three qualities of the heart which we will use as much in the next age as we do now. They are faith, hope, and love. And of these three, he says, love is the greatest. Faith and hope. It's easier to understand how love will play a part in the next age than it is to understand why faith and hope will be needed. When we can communicate with God face to face, how can there be a need for faith? If we have already been resurrected, why would we need hope? What promises would we be trusting God to fulfill? What future blessings could we still be waiting for? I mean, just think of it. Jesus is ruling in Jerusalem. The earth is covered with the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. We are resurrected in our resurrected bodies, serving as deputies of the Lord all over the planet. What are we believing him for? What, what promises are there? Why, why, why would faith and hope remain? The answer, particularly if a person thought their final destiny was heaven, might surprise us. Remember heaven? <laughs> I mean, I'm glad for heaven. Don't get me wrong. I want to go there. If, 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 I, if I die before he comes, I want to be there. And I know that my, all believing loved ones are there and, and they're, we're in spiritual bodies and we're in the presence of God. That, it's wonderful. It's a great, great gift and blessing. But it's not the goal. It's just a temporary holding place. Yet if we read the Bible carefully, we discover that the age to come, the one that follows this age, is not the final age. There will be an age beyond that one, filled with a level of glory even greater than the glory that will fill the thousand-year age that lies ahead of us. John, in the book of Revelation, calls it a new heaven and a new earth. Would you say that? A new heaven. And that truth, that ultimate future, is the key that unlocks our understanding of what Paul means when he says, but now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It explains why there will still be a need for faith and hope during the millennium, the messianic age, the age to come, all those mean the same thing. During that thousand year period of time, we will still need faith because we will be trusting God for promises that have not yet arrived. Picture that. In this millennium, in this messianic age, in the thousand years to come, we're still waiting for a future. In, in uh, Revelation 20, verse 11, I think it is, you have this great throne, the beam of, of, of the Lord. He's seated there. And it says, and heaven and earth fled away from his presence, and there was no place found for them. Do you remember that? What it means, I think, I believe the Lord at that point releases his glory with no restraint. I believe it's restrained right now or it would destroy this present universe. He, he just releases his glory and it just evaporates the universe. It, it, it ceases to be. That's when it, no place found for them. That means it's gone. It's not just moved somewhere. It doesn't exist anymore. So he's just wiped out the universe. And then John uh, 20, uh, Revelation 21 opens up and it says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The Lord literally creates a resurrected universe. A, a universe which now can withstand the glory of unre unrestrained. His Shekinah, his power, his beauty, just radiating through this entire universe. And in, see, if you and I weren't resurrected, it would destroy us. 
just evaporate us in a moment. The, you are going to be made into a condition uh, whereby we, we can go right into the very throne room of God, right to his knee, as it were, and not be destroyed. Right now, it's, it's really, there aren't words for this. There aren't words for this. You're gonna, we have his presence come when we worship. He came today, huh? We, we pressed through today. Wasn't that beautiful? It's a fraction, <laughs> just a drop compared to what we will live in. During that thousand year period of time, we will still need faith because we will be trusting God for promises that have not yet arrived. Though we believers will already have been resurrected, the, un, the unresurrected human population in the animal world will still be aging and dying. Remember the statement that says, anyone who, who, does, who dies before the age of 100 will be thought to be accursed? If you ever wonder, like, wait a minute, is that heaven? I mean, how can they die? You know, what's that about? It's this. We're talking about the unresurrected mortal population. The devil will not have been removed forever, and the new heavens and earth will not have been created. That's why even in the age to come, there will be much need for faith. Though we will never die, we will be ministering to people who are dying. So on their behalf, we will be laying hold of God's promises, looking forward to the end of death. In other words, faith and hope will still be part of our walk with God. That's why Paul says they abide, they remain, they continue on past this age into the next. But then even the next age will pass away and an entirely new universe will take its place. At last, you and I will be living in a city lighted by the glory of God and the Lamb. And the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb will be our temple. At last, in that final age, there will be no need for faith or hope. For all the promises will have arrived in full. But our need for love in that new Jerusalem will not have changed at all. In fact, we will love God and each other far more than we do now. That's why Paul can say so boldly, love never falls. Conclusion. Paul is telling the Corinthian church that the grace gifts of the Holy Spirit are important and he wants them to passionately pursue those gifts. But he also wants them to remember that what is, what is most important and what's most important, more important than even the use of the gifts, is their heart to be conformed to the heart of Jesus. So he puts the gifts of the Spirit into perspective by reminding them that these partial gifts will only be used in this age, not in the next. In the next, there will be perfect communication with God and an, in, and an availability of his power that is vastly beyond anything we experience now. But the Christ-like character that's formed in us now will still be at work in us then. In the next age, we will still need faith and we will still be waiting in hope because we will be ministering to people who are subject to sin and decay. But even then, then even the next age will pass away and the one quality of those three that will still be with us in the eternal glory of the new heavens and earth will be God's kind of love, agape. So the more we love, the more we become like Jesus and the more we become like Jesus, the more we approach God's predestined plan for us. It is not an either or situation. Paul is not saying, I really want you to have love and I don't want you to mess with these gifts. 
he will, the next verse he's going to say, I want you to passionately pursue. He uses a word, I want you to hunt down love, and I want you to passionately, uh, zealously go after the gifts. It's both and. Say both and. Yeah, something about us that wants to make things either or. And uh, he's not saying, oh, you don't need gifts, you just need love. He's not saying that. But he's saying everything you do is to be guided by love. Love is the core thing God is forming in you. So when you handle the gifts of the Spirit, you let the love of God in you control how that's done. Let's, 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 let's apply it now. Let's see what that looks like. What would love do? In effect, Paul wants the Corinthians to evaluate everything they're doing based on this truth. He wants them to ask themselves, what would love do? Would you ask that question? What would love do? Would, now, I'm going I'm to take and I'm going to apply that to major things Paul's brought up in this letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, just, I just pick up it at chapter 8. Would it march into pagan temples and eat the idol feasts, in the idol feasts, regardless of the grief that caused a brother or sister who had just escaped the grip of that demonic religion? Would it gorge itself on the bread? This is chapter 11. Would it gorge itself on the bread and get drunk on the wine in the Lord's Supper while the poor sat outside with nothing? Would it speak in tongues loudly and all at once, ignoring the confusion and fear that caused visitors that had come to learn about Jesus? That's chapter 14. Would it conduct side conversations, questioning out loud what someone said during a church service, distracting everyone else who's trying to worship? That's 14 14 as well. And of course, the answer to each of those questions is no. So what would love do? It would put aside its own freedom. To protect the faith of a weaker believer. It would see that everyone who participated in the Lord's... Pardon me. That everyone participated in the Lord's Supper. And would give what was left over to the poor to take home with them. Wouldn't it? The idea of hoarding it as the rich... While the poor are out hungry. No. it 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 would send everybody home with what's left over. It would, it would speak in tongues privately and a lot. Paul will say that. But in a public service, it would restrain itself and seek instead those gifts that would help draw unbelievers and visitors closer to God. It would avoid side conversations or doing anything that would draw the congregation's attention away from Jesus. And Paul's counsel was meant not just for the Corinthians was also meant for us. He wants all of us to understand that the Holy Spirit has not only been given to us to equip us for the, the present, but to prepare us for the future. He, the Holy Spirit, has come to teach us to love like Jesus loves, because that kind of love will never fall. Would you stand with me? If you can, otherwise stay seated. If you, if you hurt, you stay seated, please. In the next chapter, the, Paul is going to tell us how love, man, how love guides the gifts of the Spirit. C- can you see this chapter, all of this discussion has nothing to do with Paul saying, don't have the gifts of the Spirit? Paul will say, I speak in tongues more than all of you put together. You can just imagine St. Paul as he's, as he's walking these, these great highways from one city to the next. He's praying in tongues. Worshiping the Lord with all his heart. The man's a deeply spiritual man. But he says, 
that love of God has got to guide you. Because if you take even the gifts of the Spirit and you begin to use them proudly or aggressively, you disregard others, you just do damage. I'm going to tell you, I'm the doctrine chairman for our denomination. And I, I have a, a task on my hands. <laughs> There's a lot of Pentecostals, particularly the generation after an older generation. The old generation way back when, some of them are absolutely wonderful and some of them are pretty wild. And so there was a lot of wildfire and a lot of yelling and a lot of stuff. And the, their children watching that disorder, the very kind of thing Paul's trying to deal with here, their conclusion is, I don't want anything to do with it. They'll often say, I believe that stuff. I know it's all in the Bible. I believe it's all real. But don't you get it near me. Because <laughs> it's chaos. Brothers and sisters, if we get a hold of what Paul is saying, if we let love guide us, if we begin to, to understand the deep truth, the kind of love he's teaching us, what it does is it releases the life of the Spirit. And it's done, as Paul will conclude, in a beautiful, orderly way. And people love it, and unbelievers are drawn to Christ, and the Lord speaks to their hearts. We want more of the Spirit, not less. And if we'll follow his counsel, we can have it. Does that make sense? Yes. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we would be, in 2018, we would be a, a New Testament church. We would walk in all that you have for us. And we would walk in it full of your love. Would you teach us, Lord, in everything we do, everything we see, everything we, everything we say, may we be guided by your love. And Lord, we see a future in front of us that is absolutely so wonderful. There's not words for it. Thank you for your, what you've planned. I have not seen or <laughs> anyone thought of all that God has in store for those who love him. It is amazing as we just glimpse it. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that no matter how old we are, our life has just begun. Give us hope, give us faith, and fill us with love. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. If you, that's your prayer, would you say yes, Lord? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.